You know, this is, this is just such a, a blessing for me personally. This fall will be 33 years that um, Christy and I have been here with our family ministering in this amazing church. But it's a blessing for me this morning special because when you're in a place that long, you get to see God do some amazing things. First time I met Carl, he was a junior in high school. I had the first year I coached football. He was a junior in high school playing fullback, and I'm guessing linebacker, right? Because we always went two ways in the Ironman football. Yeah. And uh, I know he came to a couple of fifth quarters, heard the gospel, don't know if it had any effect, but the joy of, of watching Carl come back from the military, spent time, he's an Army Ranger, he's a tough guy. Started with D-type football. But, uh, and, and came to the Lord and, and is now uh, finishing up his seminary, going to be a part of staff. That I, just, I just can't tell you what a great joy this is for me, just to have been here and watched the Lord do that. You got a great wife in the meantime, and you met Valerie in the, in the Army, right? Yeah. The two boys. So pray for them as uh, they're coming back to take their place with it. I'm excited. Carl's heart beats for discipleship, just like mine. So I think we're going to be able to get some things tightened up around. We've kind of grown past our organization, and so we're looking to this Army Ranger to kind of get us fixed. It's all on you, Carl. No pressure. But uh, I love to hear Carl teach the Word, and so I asked him to come and teach the Word this morning. Well, good morning, church. I'm excited to be here. It's, uh, it's uh, been a long drive over the last couple days. I'm not nearly as tough as pastor makes me out to be, at least not these days. Um, I felt pretty paralyzed after 19 hours to Kansas City. I, I think we'll adjust that uh, first stop on the next go-round. Um, and, uh, but it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I can tell you that uh, we had planned on being here and coming to preach uh, for a little over a month, you know, but things have, things have changed now. We're, we've been uh, invited to be here and serve you guys on staff, and we're truly excited about it. We have barely had time to, uh, to even wrap our minds around it, so be patient with us when you ask us questions, and we don't know the answers. Um, but anyway, let me introduce myself a little bit. It's so neat to look out and see your faces. There's a lot of people I clearly recognize and others that uh, are new faces to me. And so I was. I was born and raised here in, in Laramie, and, uh, and I think it does, right? Laramie makes you tough in the first place just because it's Laramie. And then secondly, yeah, you go and you play football, football for John D. Ty, and you run the same play over, and everybody knows what's coming, so you get beat up. And you learn to plow through. And we are excited to be back. Uh, I'll tell you this morning that my youngest son, we, we had the pleasure of staying across the street here at American, and uh, we had this neat room where there was a big double window that looked right out over the mountains. And in North Carolina, you can't see 50 feet, you know, just... 150-foot tall trees, and, and you just can't see anything. There's millions of people around, but I felt fairly comfortable because you couldn't see any of them. So um, <laughs> I told a number of people, I thought, man, if I knew how many people were here, I'm fairly certain I would have quit 
a long time ago when we at home, but, but God's grace, he, he saved us from doing that. Anyway, Matthew, uh, I found him this morning. He was sitting on the edge of, of the bed and just staring out, uh, staring out over uh, the beautiful Laramie Valley. And I said, what are you doing, son? And, and he said, you know, Dad, I'll never take it for granted again. And uh, this is our home. Um, I've been married 19 years, going on 20. Two boys, 16 and 14. Uh, both of them were saved here at Laramie Valley Chapel, baptized here. And uh, we're honored to be here. Let me pray with you, and then we'll get into this message. Father, thank you for today. And Lord, here we, we gather to talk about today your providence, how it is that you work in our lives, and how glorious it is, God. Lord, I pray that you might fill me with your spirit, that I might speak your word, not mine, Lord, that I might speak in a way that honors and glorifies you and draws men to you and not to me. Lord, that we would boldly enter the throne room because you've called us sons and daughters. Lord, we love you. I pray you open our hearts and our ears. I pray, God, that we would not leave the same people that we came in, that you would move us forward, Lord, that you would encourage us in your word. We thank you for your love. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my seminary goals, um, although I I don't know that I'll get around to it or not, but I'm going to work on it. I'll continue to work on it. It has been to prepare a message for each one of the attributes of God. And the one that I would like to share with you this morning, or characteristics of God, and the one I'd love to share with you this morning is God's providence, uh, oftentimes uh, referred to as his sovereignty. In other words, how is it that God interacts with us, from us and our, our perspective as, as people? We, we are living this life, and we often forget, as the song said, we, we're wanderers, right? We wander, and we, we sometimes lose, lose sight of what it looks like that God is in control and ordering all these things because it seems like we're constantly in this battle and constantly need to make, make decisions being pulled one way or the other. And so I just want to take a look at how God operated in the life of Joseph and how difficult the trials that Joseph went through and how we can associate with that. And then also uh, my prayer is that when we walk away from just this time of looking at Joseph's life, that our response would be the same. And his response was that God did this, right? He could have said, my brothers did this. The situation was horrible. I was sold into slavery, right? But he didn't. He clearly three times in the 45th chapter of Genesis says that God did this. And so I want us to look at that today. I want us to be encouraged by God's word. Um, so I want to draw a distinction between God's sovereignty in God's providence. So I'm going to do that. I'm not asking you to do it, but I've done it in my mind. If uh, you don't agree with it, take it up with Jimmy after the service. But I see a distinction in sovereignty and providence in that God is sovereign because God is God. God is not a man. God is not a woman. He is neither things. We only call him he because that's what the Bible does. He calls God, he, a personal pronoun, a male personal pronoun, he's, but he's not a man. He's totally otherly. And uh, recently I had a chance to teach in children's ministry, which I love to do, and so bear with me. But one of the examples I used was that, that God spoke the universe 
into existence, spoke it into existence. And I use this example that if we could travel at the speed of light, that in one second we could travel around the earth seven and a half times if we moved at the speed of light. If we were moving at the speed of light, it would take us 2.9 million years to get to the next galaxy. And why did I share that with him? Because God is God. God literally said, let it exist, and it existed, right? He is not limited by traveling at the speed of light. God is God. And I say that in that sense, God is sovereign. He, 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 is, he is not an individual that has to earn his right to be God. He is God, so he is sovereign. And God's providence is what I would say is how God is operating and working with us even though he is sovereign. And so, again, if you don't like that, Jimmy will be at the front of the church to work that out for you. (laughs) So Reformed theologian Wade Grudem uh, defines God's providence like this. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he, number one, keeps them existing and maintaining Uh, the properties with which he created them. Number two, he cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. And finally, number three, he directs them to fulfill his purposes. So it is the the purpose of this message and this narrative scripture to just reveal the doctrine of God's providential care for his people. In order to do that, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. It begins in chapter 37, and it ends in chapter 50. Um, Being that that's the case, I'm not going to read that entire narrative to you. You can thank the Lord for that. Um, It is the longest single narrative in the scripture, and it is just chock full of amazing love for God's plan for humanity. So by way of review, we're going to do, I don't know, a different galaxy kind of flyover. Sometimes we talk about a 30,000-foot flyover. This will be kind of from 2.9 million years away. But just to set the stage, um, in chapter 37, we find Jacob, who is renamed Israel, and is the father of 12 sons through two wives and their maidservants. His first wife is Leah, if you remember. Uh, He's the wife of of his deception. And through Leah, he had six children. Uh, Leah's maidservant, Zilpah, had two children. So that makes eight. His second wife, Rachel, had two children. Rachel's maidservant, Bilah, also had two children. Now we're to 12. Joseph was the firstborn son from Jacob's first love, Rachel. He is 17 years old when we find him here in uh, the first verses of chapter 37. And Jacob's, uh, he was J- Jacob's choice heir to receive the her- inheritance and lead the family. Now, if you can imagine with me, you can really see some major issues arising from a family dynamic. I can't imagine looking out here, as strange as families are today, that anybody has four wives, 12 children, well, not four wives, two wives, two maidservants, 12 children, and there is a dynamic within the Hebraic culture that says the first son, right, gets the inheritance. And so now we've got four first sons, and we've got a serious 
battle brewing within this family dynamic. Can you see that? So, um, adding to this tenuous relationship, we see Joseph tattling on his brothers. So I don't know about you guys, but I grew up, we had a, a small farm in north, northeastern Colorado that we spent our time on in the summers. And all the cousins would get together, and myself and my teammate, my, the youngest two cousins, Jennifer, uh, would often find ourselves in a position where we tattled on the olders. You know, they were always getting into trouble, always doing things they shouldn't be doing, always lighting off. I remember they'd, we'd, they'd pull bullets out of rifle casings, and they'd pour out the powder, and we'd, they'd light it, and it'd start the hay on fire, and then somehow I'd get blamed for it. So we found ourselves tattling. Well, the natural outcome of tattling on your family is you're going to get beat up. I can say that firsthand. <laughs> it's been many a day rolling around in the dust, <laughs> outweighed and outnumbered. <laughs> So Joseph finds himself in that same situation. Um, adding to the fuel of that fire, God gives Joseph two dreams of which, uh, for some reason, probably because he's 17 years old, I can identify with, with a little bit of that with my 16-year-old. For some reason, he finds it necessary to tell uh, his brothers about these dreams that they're going to worship him. So we heat it up a little bit. God heats it up. In verses uh, 23 through 32, his brothers manufactured his counterfeit death and sold him into slavery. Uh, the captain of the Egyptian guard, Potiphar, purchases him in chapter 39, verse 1. After being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, uh, he's sent to prison. At, I'm going to assume somewhere around the, the age of 20. That's the one thing in the timeline you're, uh, we're unable to determine. We do know, though, that eight years later, after being in prison, he is 28 years old, and the Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker are thrown into prison. Immediately, God gives the dreams, uh, gives them dreams, and God gives Joseph the interpretations. We find that the baker will die and the cupbearer will be restored. Joseph does two more years in prison before Pharaoh has two more dreams, which reveals seven years of plenty to be followed by seven years of famine. Joseph is remembered by the cupbearer at this time and released from prison at the age of 30. He stewards Egypt through the seven years of plenty, making him 37 years old. And in chapter 45, verse 6, the scripture discloses that his brothers appear two years into that seven-year famine. So, if you're bored, or if you're still tracking, we find that Joseph is 39 years old, before the dream at 17 comes, comes to reality. So God reveals the dream to Joseph 22 years before its time of fulfillment. Within that time, Joseph has been betrayed by the closest people in his life. I ask you this morning, no doubt in a crowd this size, that there's been many, many opportunities to betray and to be being betrayed. And there is maybe nothing more personal, more damaging, and more hurtful than being betrayed by those who you love. Secondly, he is humiliated and sold as property as a slave. 
To add to that, he's falsely accused, thrown in prison, wrongly treated, and no doubt after the cupbearer is suffering great and tremendous hopelessness. He's finally released at the age of 30. 22 years later, he sees God fulfill the dream. So one of the things that we need to bring out, one of the truths that we need to understand about God and his providence is that his timing is not like our timing. So when we think about this, God is working behind the scenes just as he always has to bring things to their fulfillment. The apostle Peter understood God's timing and recorded this in his second letter, in his second letter, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. It's not Peter's intent here to say that with the Lord, exactly, one of our days equals a thousand years. That's obviously been taught and been proven wrong, but it's clearly to mean this, God is God. What is time to an infinite being? Nothing, right? What is time? What is the created to the creator other than that which he owns or understands fully? And that's Peter's intention. So I'm not sure where you're at this morning, but no doubt some in this room, like Joseph, has suffered betrayal, humiliation, false accusation, wrongful treatment, and have experienced hopelessness. In light of these realities, I pray that we never, uh, that we ever be reminded that we are to keep our minds on the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the promise. As we consider God's providence, we must remember that God's timing is not our timing. Secondly, God's ways are not our ways. Let us remember that in order to bring about his will, God took Joseph down a path that often did not look good for Joseph. During the Exodus, God leads the Israelites to the desert and not to the promised land. After 40 years of wandering, Joshua is told to circumcise the fighting men right after they cross into Israel. Could you do a worse thing after 40 years of wandering and these young men, these young warriors are now chomping at the bit. God parts the water as he did with Moses and you get to the other side and the Lord in his wisdom tests Israel and absolutely incapacitates the army. David is anointed king and for, four, and for years suffers trials before becoming king. Isaiah is commanded to preach to a people that will not listen. And in chapter 55, verse 8, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Let us not forget that the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, not from a comfortable chair in his study, but from prison. In a display of unequaled human logic, the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, penned what has become to be known as one of the earliest Christian hymns in Philippians 2. It says this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of, a, of men. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Let me ask you this. Does God need to test us to find out something that he does not know about us? Church, he doesn't. So the, the question is, why does he test us? Right? He tests us that we might find out something about ourselves in order to move us forward to glorify him. So as we consider God's providence, we must remember that his timing is not our timing, that his ways are not our ways. And third, we must be content with God's providential plan. Sadly, too many of us have become downtrodden and depressed with our circumstances in life. When life does not go our way, we tend to get distraught and hopeless. It should not be so, church. We know that Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. But what? Take heart. Church, take heart. This is not our home. This is not where we're resting. We're not putting our feet down. I don't know about you, but I feel older today than I did yesterday. My shoulders hurt more, my back hurt more, my back hurts more, I get more tired quickly. <laughs> right? This is not our home. We will have trouble, but we look at that with great hope and joy, knowing that this is not our home, right? There is a kingdom coming. There is a resurrection where you get a body. I don't even know what it looks like, or I can't even imagine that doesn't grow old, that doesn't hurt that doesn't have limitations, that can fully serve and love Christ without feeling tired if you sleep or get up in the morning, whatever that looks like, right? We look forward to that day. That is our hope. Let us not put our hope in the things of this world. It'll drag you down. Most men, myself included, given the chance, would have inflicted the punishment due to his brothers, but not Joseph. He understood, he understood God's promise and his providence. When Joseph, the most powerful man in the known world, reveals himself to his brothers, he con contented himself with God's plan and said this, Genesis 45, 4 through 8, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvesting. Verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. Church, there's no greater doctrine that we can put our hope in than the one of God's sovereignty and his providence, that we know he is moving us in a direction that glorifies him, bringing it to a culmination of which we put our full hope and trust. So as we consider God's providence, we must remember that his timing is not our timing, that his ways are not our ways, and we must be content with his providential care. 
All of us at one time or another have experienced times when God has, without any shadow of a doubt, providentially provided something for us just at the perfect time. I could get into it now, but it would take too long. Just the fact that I stand here today is nothing short of God miraculously working through circumstances to put me right here. I'm not sure exactly where you're at today, but without a doubt, in a crowd this size, we could listen to hours of testimonies of God's faithfulness, of his love, and of his perfect timing. We would also hear stories of great tragedy, tremendous difficulties, and yet we know, because he has said it, those things will come to an end. So no matter the circumstance, God can and will sustain you through this life and the life to come. Maybe you have not yet believed uh, in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here seeking and you're wondering, you're thinking, well, I came because somebody told me to come. I came because my irritating brother drugged me here. Listen, I'm telling you, I don't know who you might be, but it's no accident that you're here. And if you feel and you sense the reality of God working in your life, don't let another day go by. Respond. Turn your life. Give it to Christ. And enjoy an eternity that does not look anything like what you're experiencing now. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your character, your love, your patience. I thank you, Lord, that you work through an imperfect people that stutter, that can't work well, that may not speak well, Lord, but who is it that is to be glorified but you? We thank you for this opportunity to serve and love you, Lord. I thank you for your word that challenges us and cuts both ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.